promised you uh, our star guest this week is the man who ensured that Barack Obama got re-elected in 2012. He's the technologist and entrepreneur, Harper <coughs> Reed. He's here to talk right now about his work on the virus, about our digital future, about our privacy, our rights, uh, and much more. So let's do this. Roll the credits. Hello, Harper. <laughs> hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, hey. so good back at the, for the next round, right? Because we came out yeah. to Berlin many years ago to speak there, right after the Obama campaign, and then you founded another company, and then you ran the tech rule at PayPal. I mean, you've done a lot of things. Um, before we start on what you're doing now, there was one quote on your website that is, is, is such a different perspective, that, from my perspective, that I just want to quote it is, there's a beautiful and organized system hidden underneath what seems messy. And personally, I always feel it's, you know, there's a messy system hidden underneath. It's beautiful and organized. Tell us about it. This, this is your, your motto? This is your guiding? Uh, well, I think it's more that um, oftentimes I've found that when I have flourished, it's in these kind of very confusing, complex, really kind of everything seems like it's messed up. Every, like it doesn't seem like there's a direct answer. And yet working with some very smart people, we're able to kind of extract the system out of it. And then from there, we can, you know, do something interesting with it. And, and there's all sorts of these kind of examples. And you can see, um, you know, whether it's a founder or a scientist, it's oftentimes looking at the noise and trying to see the thing underneath that allows you to get whatever you're trying to get. And, um, you know, our world is seemingly more and more full of noise. And I think that means that there's a lot of opportunity. Um, but I, I think it's also me realizing that I'm a very systems-based thinker and kind of yeah. try to, how do, you, how do you say I'm a systems thinker without just saying, hi, I'm a systems thinker? <laughs> <laughs> branding, yeah. hashtag branding. This is an important aspect, you know, you got to represent. Yeah. So you, you've, you've already looked at some systems, right? You had Threadless, which was, you know, how to get designs together. And, and that wasn't really your first thing. Then you had elections, which is how to get opinions together. I mean, even harder with tech. And then uh, you did a lot of e-commerce work as well. But now, we're, now we have a pandemic. And, and you, what have you been doing? Solve this world for us. Well, I'm, it's actually really complicated. So the first thing I've been doing is just sitting in my basement, um, which is what everyone should be doing, stay at home, et cetera. But the, what that has done is it, it is like a very, it's very small. I'm used to a very big world. I'm used to a global world. I'm used to traveling, interacting with people. Um, it's very small. And so the first thing I did was I, I said to myself, I need to figure out how to create spaces that are bigger. Um, and so I started doing a lot of community organizing. Um, and I use the words community organizing because that's the words that, you know, um, are used in politics where you look at a community. And in my case, in my basement, this was me and then my friends. And then I start saying, OK, because we're just on, you know, you're on your, that WhatsApp group. You're just on, you know, you're on some group to text. You're chatting back and forth. Um, and we started this uh, a WhatsApp group in, in mid-January um, following what was going on in Wuhan. Um, really looking at this as like, wow, this is crazy. Um, and I think the reason was many of us are mid or, or kind of later in our careers. Um, we have a different kind of viewpoint. Um, and this goes back to your question about systems and complexity. Like we're seeing this thing happen in Wuhan, but we're seeing it done with social technology, with, with mobile phones, with drones. We're seeing all this reaction 
that the Chinese were doing that was really different than our memories around SARS or our memories around other epidemics. Um, and so it was just a fascinating thing to watch. And we had some friends in China. Um, and so it was very localized for us, um, this small group of people. And then as it started to get more and more serious, we started to expanding that group to really kind of adding more people. And what we realized is we suddenly had a group of 100 scientists, um, genomic folks, um, epidemiologists, all these folks that were watching the same kind of slow, slow, but also very, very fast train wreck. Um, and it was scary because I remember being, um, you know, I travel a lot, like many of us. Um, and earlier this year, I was traveling a bunch and I was actually in Florida for a board meeting. And I remember reading um, about a whole bunch of just information that was coming out of, of China. And a friend of mine had just traveled to their hometown um, for Chinese New Year and they were locked down. And I remember being like, wow, how do you lock down a city of tens of millions of people? Like, how does that work? We know now how it works, but this was a thing where I was like, okay, this is serious. And so when I got back from that trip, I remember telling my partner, I was like, this is really serious. We have to take this very, very seriously. And so that's when I started really digging in full time and thinking, okay, I have this network. We, you know, we all have a network. I have these tools in, in front of me and my tools were mostly communication tools. And so it was like, okay, what can we do? Um, and so we just set out to do things and we set out to do anything. Um, a lot of it was about collaboration. I always joke that I don't have any skills except my network, that really I'm just, I'm just a facade for a very, uh, you know, a big contact list or a big address book. Um, but, but in some cases that's true where it really is about collecting people, putting them together, creating new communities. Um, so we started a community which was, which was about sharing scientific information um, there was another one we started, which was all about sharing um, um, information for clinicians. So doctors, people working actually on the front lines. Um, we, we had a data science group, et cetera. And then from all these kind of groups spun some really interesting projects. And But what was fascinating about it, it was really about just looking at this and saying, okay, you know, Monique, you are really good at data. David, you're really good at making interfaces. We need to figure out a way to share this data with the masses. Um, you know, so some of the things we did, I worked with an amazing guy named Von Tan, who um, has spent a lot of time in restaurants. And so one of the first things we did is we I helped push out with with Von this food and beverage guide to COVID-19, um, just because we're st still all eating um, in Chicago, where I'm in, where I'm at, all the restaurants are closed, yet you can still eat. <laughs> so it's like, how do you make sure that you 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 are able to work in a restaurant and still be safe, both for the patrons and the workers. And so a lot of it is really simple stuff like that. It's not simple. It's simple in that when you say it, it's, it's, it's not like, oh, we built a bunch of technology to solve all these problems. It's more simple in that this is just content that is known. Let's document it. Let's put it on a website and push it out. And that website is FNB, fnbcovidguide.com. Yeah. And, yeah, we'll and so there's so, yeah. lots of examples of this, um, but really what was interesting for me was how do you find the community? How do you focus on the community? How do you figure out what assets the community can create together and then just start doing it? Um, and I think as I look back on some of this, I think it was an emotional reaction. Like I was stressed, I was frustrated. It was scary. The economy was collapsing. You know, my businesses, I, I was on the cusp of starting a new business. It had collapsed. There was a lot of uncertainty. Um, I always think that I'm good at risk and good at crisis, but like when it comes to it, it's scary. And so I was reacting by like, okay, you gotta be busy. Gotta be busy. Gotta go to my basement. Gotta go sit in front of Zooms. Gotta go on Hangouts. Let's get, let's get some stuff done. Um, and, and so there's a whole. But it must also be that you have this 
strong belief that there is an order there and you can do something about it. You have this belief that yeah, huge problem. You can't solve yeah, well, <clears throat> I, I'm I'm lucky in that I was talking to a bunch of epidemiologists and the epidemiologist would say, "Oh my gosh, this is really scary. We're totally fucked." Like that's what they would say, and I would just be like, "Okay." And then the um, I would be like, okay, that's, that's scary. You're a scientist. That's scary. And then I would talk to some military folks, um, some people who are used to like emergency response. And they would say, oh my gosh, this is so scary. We're totally fucked. Okay. So this is what we're going to do. And I noticed these two perspectives. One was everything is, is broken. This is scary. And then there, there's like a period. There was no, and then, yeah. and then the others were, oh my, the same exact thing. But then there was this, and here is what we're going to do. And I started thinking to myself, okay, if there's one thing that I need to do is when I get stuck or when I get, um, just when it gets scary, how do I say, okay, here is what our action is. Like iterate over to action because so often, especially in crisis, in business or wherever, like this is something that we did at the Obama campaign as well and my startup, which is like you're faced with something, you're faced with uncertainty, you're faced with just the unknown and it seems impossible. And it's like, okay, Rather than saying, ah, and just like going into a dark room and going to sleep, which sometimes is needed. I have to admit, it's very nice to do that. <laughs> but rather than doing that every time, just think, and like, add, it's kind of like improv, you uh, know, yeah. like, like, I, like, I, I'm you, definitely going, ah, field. And yeah. then, you know, reading gloomy news uh, for a few months before I could pick myself up again. David, your turn. Thank you. Yes. So. Harper, one of the big things I want to ask you about is obviously you were instrumental in um, bringing together, like in 2012, the worlds of big tech and politics. And way back in 2012, that was like a super new thing to do. Obviously, in the, in the years since then, we've had a whole journey when it comes to big tech and politics and citizens' rights and everything. So I guess I have, t I have two kind of things. Like the more immediate thing is we... You know, we understand that to get a hold on this virus, we need to know who's got it and where it's going and all of that stuff. And that the technology can help us with that. And Apple and Google are on the case and all of this. National governments are on the case. Um, and there's a lot of talk. And some people are freaking out about the kind of data privacy implications of that. Right. So I'm super interested to, to hear your take on that, on the data privacy. Is this a danger to us? Like we all understand it's going to help with the pandemic, but are there longer term dangers that people should be aware of? Are you worried about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I am. I think the answer to all of your questions is just yes. <laughs> like, yes, it is a problem. Yes, we will give all of our data to someone. Yes, it will help. Like it's yes in every case. And so uh, it's, it's, it's really about how bad will it get from the virus standpoint? And um, I'd mentioned talking to some military folks earlier, and one of them said to me, the thing about these type of situations is um, we will build a plan, a great plan, a plan that has privacy, has all these things built into it. But the thing is, is the virus also gets a vote on the plan. And so there's times when we may say, okay, the best case scenario is for us to build a privacy preserving solution that does not share data with, with anyone. Um, and that's what we should do. And I think that's how we should start. And I think that's what we should go towards. But if that doesn't help get us out of the pandemic, we should have an open mind about what will. And I think we should test it and we should, we should test it against our, um, like our, our, our 
morality. We should test it against all of our values. We should be testing it against our laws. Um, I think we should be very cautious about changing anything, about compromise, about sacrificing. Um, you know, but you have you have some good examples. For example, Apple and Google released this uh, uh, exposure notification API. It's a great API. It's you know, it's I think it's a really good start. Like it does some really good stuff. The most important thing is it is privacy preserving. So you are not sharing any data that you don't already, like just no data with anyone. It's all about, you just send out these pings um, on your Bluetooth phone. Someone listens to them. They don't have any idea it's your phone. And then your phone's like, oh, you may have been exposed based on looking at something on the internet, but you're not sharing your data with a centralized server, a centralized government with anyone. I think that's great. The problem is, is that it's super speculative. We don't know if it works. We hope it works as technologists, a lot of epidemiologists, public health people, we all hope it works, but we don't know. So uh, the worry is what happens if we launch this, it rolls out, everything is great, it's privacy preserving and it doesn't help. Like what then? And I think that's the thing that we have to be thoughtful about. Now we don't have to sacrifice our rights or our privacy right now, but we need to be thoughtful about what happens if it doesn't work. Um, but the other- no, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, go ahead, Monique. No, I'm just wondering because there, there's also a, a real question in, in all countries, who takes the lead in these projects? I mean, in Europe, yeah. there's definitely an Apple-Google hesitation. Do we want to give these people more power than they already have? Um, but it's also, I mean, governments at the moment lead the way in taking all kinds of measures, but they are really bad at developing software. I mean, that this is not <laughs> their skill. And and we had in the Netherlands, they did a hackathon. I mean, the, the ministry ran a hackathon and, and none of the results actually worked. I mean, it was a hackathon with companies though. So, right. But the whole process of developing something on this scale with for so many people, with so many real dangers connected to it, who should lead that? I mean, who can do yeah. this? This is a, such a complicated question. And so one thing I did early on is I spent a lot of time with public health folks, with epidemiologists, because I realized, and, and this was a lesson I learned in the Obama campaign. It's a lesson I've learned over and over again in my career. And I, and I think I have to learn it over and over again. And I think technology folks typically have to learn this over and over and over again, which is that sometimes we're not the expert. <laughs> sometimes there's technology or just it doesn't matter if there's technology. We oftentimes carry these giant hammers around and every single problem in the world is our nail. And in situations like this, we have to listen to the experts. Um, and that's frustrating for us technologists. We wish we were the smartest people in the room. We act like it. Our language is around it. You know, everything about it is, oh, no, I got this. I can, I can get this for you. This will be fine. Um, the problem is, is a situation like this and I think this is a very unique situation. This is unlike most situations that any of us alive today have been in. Um, a situation like this, if we mess up, if we don't talk to public health, if we don't talk to the epidemiologists, if we don't understand how the virus works, we could create software that kills people, that actually is well-intended, but the outcome isn't that you know someone else was elected or the outcome isn't that your customers didn't buy your thing. The outcome is, you killed all the grandparents. <laughs> that seems less than ideal. So because of that, um, I think it's really important that it's, it's about, it's not about who builds it. It's more about who is in the room talking about what it is. And okay. I think the people in the room need to be a portion of government. It ha they have to have a voice because they represent the citizens. They represent the populace. 
It has to have a lot of public health people, policy people, the people who are doing the work. Um, it has to have epidemiologists. It has to have all these people in the room. And we saw how this went. So when Apple and Google released their API um, in April, I think it was, it, it, every day seems like a year, it seems. So two or 300 years ago, Apple and Google released this API for COVID-19. Um, when they released it, they called it the contact tracing API. The problem was is that the API did not do anything in regards to contact tracing. It only did stuff in regards to exposure notification. An exposure notification is a term that public health people use within epidemiology. It's a term that is normal. And so when epidemiologists and public health people saw the contact tracing API from Apple, they said, well, this doesn't do anything that we need. This is doing something completely different. And what that did is it kind of, it just caused so much confusion. And, and this is an example of tech companies not knowing the vocabulary, not knowing the space, not understanding what needed to happen to get through this. And Everyone's moving fast. It was just a mistake, but it, it wasted time. Now they iterated, they moved over to calling it exposure notification. And I think the API is great. I think it does something that's really important. I think we have to do it. But even the big companies I, I, are I, making these mistakes. Are you now using this to build something yourself or are you waiting for somebody to say, okay, Harper, you're the man in charge, build it? So I'm, I am not building anything because I'm trying not to ever do work. I just think work is boring, but um, I'm advising a whole boatload of organizations, a lot of them in the US, a few internationally um, on how to best do this. And my advice typically goes like this, talk to public health and they're like, okay, I've talked to public health. Okay, great. So mm -hmm. here's how we can build this. Here's some ways to do this. There's a bunch of teams that are building it. I've been doing some work with the team that's building the open source World Health Organization app. There's a bunch of teams in the US that are doing some really, really cool stuff. I'm, I'm super proud of them. Um, and What's exciting about most of these teams is they're open source, the code, everything is auditable. Um, all, of the, um, all of the workers are, are volunteers. People are doing this because they wanna solve the pandemic. They wanna get out of the other side of this. People aren't doing this because they wanna make mm -hmm. money. And I think that's a really important thing. Not that you shouldn't make money. There's time for making money. There's time for making money inside of the situation. But we should make sure that these solutions, because they're being used by the government to help all of us citizens, that these solutions are open source, auditable, and more importantly, private. Um, yeah. If it's open source and auditable, we'll be able to understand that. If it's not. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would love to hear what the audience think um, about all this. So we are going to launch a poll. We're going to launch it in the chat. Um, and the poll question is, listen up, I am happy to share my personal data with government and big tech companies in order to help fight the coronavirus, yes or no, okay? So go to the chat, you'll see the poll, vote yes or no on that question, and we will find out what you thought uh, at the end of the show. I mean, segueing a little bit, Harper, um, obviously right now is a very specific set of circumstances, and it was super interesting to see what happened with Apple and Google releasing that API, and then kind of going to, um, like getting at loggerheads with some of the central governments. And it was kind of a role reversal because some central governments were like, we want to take a centralized approach. We want to collect the data, aggregate it and analyze it, you know, in a centralized way. And Apple and Google are like, we're not going to have any part of that. This is totally decentralized. It's just going to be a network of phones that ping each other. We're not going to centralize the data. Um, I mean, there's something weird about that. Maybe there's something weird about big tech companies telling government the way it's going to be even though in this case it was kind of a role reversal because they were doing it to kind of 
protect our privacy. Um, so, yeah, I just wonder about your broader take on the relationship between big tech and government and whether these huge technology companies, Facebook, Google, Apple, have become, to a certain extent, over mighty players in the public space, whether they well, do need to be regulated, like what your take on that, those kinds of questions are. I think it's, I mean, it's it's very complicated, but I do think what we should start doing is we should start adding Apple, Google, Facebook, et cetera, into our list of countries. We should just treat them like another country um, because they have such a huge amount of power within our organizations that they, they and, and this power is geopolitical. This power is not just economic, it's truly geopolitical. Like if, if there was a nefarious CEO and, and they were saying, we're gonna do this because we want to kill everyone, like they could probably do something like that. We, we trust that they don't. And because it's in you know, the open market and people can buy stock, et cetera, like there's some controls, although you know, we'll see. But it is a, you know, it's a very complicated thing. And I, I do think that we need to start treating them the same as we would treat another very large country with that, with that kind of level of income. Um, we act like they are benevolent. And, and I personally, you know, I know a lot of people that work at both companies. I've had very good experiences. and I don't think they're out to get us. But I do think that oftentimes technology moves way faster than legislation. It moves way faster than public policy. And so we see things where Apple and Google are making a decision, or it could be any tech company. It doesn't have to be them. It could be any tech company. They're making a decision relatively unilaterally that affect everyone in the whole world. Not everyone. You have like 20% of people that don't have smartphones. You have all these other folks that are that are not in that group. But for the most part, even those folks that are not, you know, who are who are lower income, that can't afford it, that just don't have it, et cetera, even those folks are affected by the policy that they're pushing out. And what what I think is fascinating is Google and Apple launched this stuff, with, which once again, I think is very successful, but they launched it and unilaterally are making decisions on how it can be used and what are the rules around it. And so when the government, like let's say a, a state in the US says, hey, we wanna do it this way, Google and Apple are like, nope. I think that is complicated. The reason is, is because Google and Apple were not elected, the state was. So when I elect a governor or I elect a president of my country or whatever it is, and I say, look, my vote says that you are going to be the one that makes the decisions. And when you have a private company that just says, no, your decision's stupid, that's just a complicated thing. Now, that may be that they have different information because of their unique view of the world. They may be that they have something that they are not sharing because it's competitive. It also may be that they're just doing something because they're scared because they don't want to get sued for privacy violations, because they know that if they had a centralized approach, that that would be a big issue in many countries with you know, GDPR, for instance, or California or wherever. Um, we don't know the motivations. And I think that's where it's confusing because typically in politics, when you elect someone, you have a pretty good idea of their motivations. You know, They wanna do X because of Y. But in these tech companies, they just, they say, well, we're doing X. And we're just like, why? Yeah, that's not cool. I, I, I think that, I think, I mean, that's kind of my take on it is, okay, like if, if huge big tech companies unilaterally decide to protect your privacy today, you know, what do they unilaterally decide tomorrow? And um, that just and that's the kind of crazy dynamic. And that's the concerning thing. And, you know, I think if, I, if this was a uh, economics 101 class in college, we would say, well, we could just not buy them. 
you know, like you can vote with your pocketbook. And, and yes, in a vacuum, that's true. But if you look at how powerful these companies are, right. it's going to take so long for, for us to um, remove the power that they currently have. And I don't necessarily think that's the point. I don't think the point is stopping Apple and Google. I think they are, they are doing good work for the most part. There's some problems that I have here and there, but there's some problems I have here and there with, with myself. You know, like, right. like it's all about iteration and moving forward. I think the issue is we have, we have tried in the world to go towards forms of government where there are checks and balances. And we currently don't have any balance within our tech organizations. There's more and more it is about monopoly. More and more, it is about one or two players. And we just don't have insight into how decisions are made. And I think this is a cultural thing that these organizations have to mature into. They have to understand their power that they have, and they have to figure out, okay, if we are going to be a player on the global scale in situations like COVID-19, we are going to have to figure out how to set up more transparency, et cetera. And you've seen places like Facebook do this with their content moderation boards, with their AI boards. You've seen organizations that have done this with other ways of regulation where things are just complicated. It's not about necessarily regulation. It's about, okay, so you have regulation. It's not like Google and Apple are doing something outside of regulation. They're doing something well within regulation. It just is contrary to what the central governments are suggesting or wanting. And so this is a really nuanced thing. In fact, Probably the APIs are very GDPR friendly, right? Yeah. Um, and so it's complicated where it's like, okay, you have a very restrictive regulation and now they're following it. And now people are like, well, wait, we want you to do it a little differently. And so it's like this funny thing where you're like, okay, so what do we do and how do we iterate? Um, I also think that we would not have this problem if we had a stronger, and I'm speaking mostly from the US right now, if we had a stronger government reaction to the COVID-19 if we had better leadership. Um, and I, I just think, you know, we, the West kind of reacted a little slower than I think we should have across the world on this stuff. And I think if we would have reacted a little quicker, especially around contact tracing and more of the manual public health interventions, I think maybe, you know, we wouldn't have to rely on a big tech company to come in and save us. Yeah. Monique, I think we have some questions in the chat from the audience, right? Do we do? And and some of the questions are from people that you know are very interested in your view on demo democratic developments, and some are on social media. And but the very first very important question from Sicko is: Are those glasses three D printed? No, these are mass produced glasses from an amazing company in Berlin called Kuberaum. Ooh, Berlin, that's nice. Okay, now. Um, some of the more political questions. Um, what do you feel about the fight against misinformation? This is coming from Janice and lies of social media created by the opponent. I mean, this whole field of social media and, and democracy, what you did at the time we felt was a good thing. Yeah. Did something similar and we felt completely differently about it, right? Yeah, it's, it's a little awkward. Yeah, it's, it's a little awkward, I have to admit. Like having kind of invented some of this stuff with this great team, um, you know, working with some of the best scientists, et cetera, at Obama land to do this and then see it done by someone who I didn't, I wasn't ideologically into and then just be like, oh, that's terrible over there. Um, it's really awkward. I, I, I think there's, I don't know the answer. I've thought about the answer a lot. I have a lot of friends that are working on this and 
I just don't know. It's so, so hard. And it's not hard because we can't build tools to find it. There's obvious tools out there that are just like things that are, you know, you can look at quality. You can, it's almost like spam. You know, you can find the misinformation that is, that is completely wrong and just be like, okay, we blocked all that. But the hard part is, is when the misinformation is the same misinformation we've always had, which is like David says, Harper has two heads. And I'm like, no, I don't. And that's it. That's it. Like, that's a complicated thing because even it's just, when you have a huge platform, you can say whatever you want, and it's hard to convince people, the listeners otherwise, because we live in such a polarized world that people are just going to be like, "Yeah, David said Harper has two heads. That's just that's just how it is. He has two heads. I mean, I've seen it. it. <laughs> it's really scary, and I don't know the right answer. Um, I well, would what, like to. What is the next step you see for social media? I mean, we've got this very rapid development in. Yeah. Such a short time of so many things that now take place on social media. What's the next yep. step? Have a new I think media? it's, I think actually we are going to see a completely change in how social media works based on COVID-19. Um, I think we're going to see um, way more live interactions, way more video interactions, way more just ways to have a kind of very interesting kind of interaction with another human. Um, there's a lot of us that grew up kind of in these sides of interactions, but it's going to be spread to everything, to everyone, to everywhere. Um, this is exciting, but I think from answering about misinformation, I just think it's more of the same. We're going to have to figure out how to solve this problem. And I don't know how to solve it. And that that's scary. I mean, it, because I just don't have a good answer. I do know lots of very smart people who are thinking about it, though. And that gives me hope. That allows me to sleep well at night. Um, and these are people in the U.S. who are on the Republican side and the Democrat side. Like, it's not a partisan issue, although we sometimes turned into that. It's an issue with the platform. Like, when you have platforms where you can shoot out messages that then become viral based on these algorithms, then people can game those algorithms to push out information in kind of a, um, a, a, a weighted way. We can build a video that then will be shared via some of these platforms and we can predict the share like people are experts in this it's called advertising but the problem is is advertising used is used to put out very nefarious or um scary information and you see this today with COVID stuff you see it today with stuff on facebook or twitter or youtube or literally name any platform you see people spewing misinformation and some of it is because of they just don't know they're naive some of it is because they're nefarious you know and i think that's it's kind of, you know, it's it's something that the platforms have to stop. They have to want to stop, first of all. I also think it's related to our market. Like when people are 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 rated in, in kind of the public markets by having these big content networks, um, they're incentivized to have big content networks. <laughs> you know? so, so it's it's a little bit of a chicken and egg and it's a little like, I don't know. I, I'm really scared, but, I, but there's smart people all over the world that are trying to solve it. And I think we, I think we can solve it, you know, and I mean, it's, it's tricky. Okay. So solve this one for us because we're well, yeah, it's so hard. It's so hard. And I think, you know, do you know where it's solved is, is places like China, right? Where you have mass censorship, where yeah. you have centralized government, centralized media. And that's also not what I want. You know, I think I don't want either of those. Like, I, and so it's, how do we, and maybe it's just something we have to go through. Maybe it's like the puberty of social media. Like once social media hits, we have to go through this. And then as a society, we have to figure out what we want and then create the rules for, rules for engagement that we expect our platforms to follow. 
Um, I'm not sure. I, I, I have hope that we can get through it, but right now it's kind of dark. Mm, I agree. Well, that's all we have time for from our audience questions, I'm afraid. What do you think, David? You can wrap this up. Thank you, Harper. Super, super interesting. I can't wait to see this future of social media. And I hope it goes. I hope it goes well. I hope we solve it. Um, oh, let me, oh, just, just, you know, breaking all the rules here. Let me just, we cannot end on such a negative note, right? So it's a dark place. <laughs> it's a dark place. We're all going to die. I have okay. bad news. Tell, tell us about Animal Garden, you know? What do you do? Oh, oh, my gosh. So, you just, yeah. Yeah, uh, I am so addicted to Animal Crossing, it's ridiculous. Like, I don't even know, I'm not going to look at how many hours I've spent on it because it'll be embarrassing. But um, in every time that I've had a very stressful experience in my life, like something that is just kind of extrinsic, this huge kind of real, like a weight that's on me, um, it's, I found something to sink my time in to like meditate. And during the Obama campaign, it was Minecraft. I would spend hours on Minecraft with my brother. We'd just build weird stuff. Keep in mind, we were both in our late 30s. Um, now I'm playing Animal Crossing and I play it with my brother and a bunch of friends and I play it with my mom. It's like, it's just so fun. But the thing is, is like, I could wake up, I can have a stressful day of meetings. I can, I can have, I just had a really stressful meeting. I can get off the meeting. I go into Animal Crossing and I'm like, I'm going to go fishing. And I'll fish for like 40 minutes. And then I'll just be like, wow, that was nice. And it's just like this ridiculous virtual world of no pressure there's just nothing it's like it's very much like just like okay that was great maybe i'll go catch some butterflies you know and you're a vegetarian and it's just like this funny world it's so funny and it's like and and, and the thing is i'm addicted totally i mean i am addicted it's like right here like I literally have it near me just in case there's a break i can go over and make sure my turn up prices are still good or what have you and um if you miss a day, it's okay. Like everything's fine. And it's just like, what world are we in? What video game do we have? What kind of experience do we have where everything is just fine? It's okay. I just love yeah. it. Thank you. Thank you. David, over to you. Yeah, that, that sounds super, super soothing. Just fishing for 40 minutes. Yeah, is a yeah. dream right now. Okay, yeah. Before, yeah. before you get back to Animal Crossing and your fishing <laughs> and your very busy life, there is one more thing we need you to do. It is time for our regular Next World interview segment. So let's roll the credits. Okay, audience and Harper, let me take you on a journey. Imagine this, it is the near future. There's been a crisis on planet Earth, not this crisis, another crisis, okay? Um, and amid that crisis, a team of technologists hatch a daring plan. They are going to travel far beyond the solar system with a thousand specially selected people to the planet next one. There they will establish a permanent base, a new home, a new chapter for humanity. Harper Reed, because of your exceptional achievements in the field of technology and entrepreneurship, you have been chosen to be among those thousand people. And before you set off, before you become one of those 1,000 pioneers, there are five key questions we need you to answer. So let's roll question one. Name one luxury physical object that you want to take with you to your new home. Oh boy, oh boy. One 
physical luxury. You know, I would I would choose my Toto Washlet bidet because when you're at that new that that next one planet, you want to make sure you are clean and fresh every day. I like it. I like it. Clean and fresh indeed. Yeah, I think next one could be dusty. Like we don't yeah. really know the terrain. So that sounds very, very sensible, very practical. It's important. Right. Let's have a look at question two. Name one exceptional person you want to take with you to the planet next one. One exceptional person I want to take with me on the planet. Man, I don't know. Alive or dead? Is there some constraint? Do we have the technology to... to, to... They need to be alive. Oh, man. I would take a dead David Bowie. Okay. Maybe maybe you'll find the technology to rejuvenate him. With the washlet. There's just something about next one and that total washlet that somehow rejuvenates the dead. That's my hope. <laughs> yeah, and then you're going to have some awesome, awesome music. Okay, let's roll number three. Create a law that bans one thing from the planet next one forever. And look, caveat... There is a, already a basic system of law. Things like murder and theft are already banned. But what do you want to ban from your new home? Oh, man. Corduroy. I'm going to ban corduroy. Any like bad that. experiences with corduroy behind this? No, it's just like when you touch it. It just is like, it's just for some reason, corduroy. I just can't do corduroy. And I know it's a very comfortable, like it makes comfortable pants and it's a nice fabric, but the... Okay, corduroy as Harper Reed has spoken. No corduroy on next one. Okay, let's roll the next question. Explain one truth about human nature or one ethical principle to live by uh, that you want people to embrace on next one. Hmm. Hmm. There's, I don't know. I, 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 I think it's just about being decent, something like that. Like this idea that you just are nice to others or you're decent to others of just like this idea, like the kind of a humanism, like how do you, and I don't know how to say it in a, in a really simple way, um, but it could just be to be nice. Um, you know, I saw actually, at, I was at a grocery store the other day and, and, the, and one of the checkout people, you know, we're behind plastic, you know, everyone has gloves and masks on. It's almost like we're in space. And the person had a little pin on, on their apron and it just said, be nice. And I thought, you know, that is a defensive mechanism. How sad that this person has to have a pin on their apron that reminds the patrons to be nice during this time. And I, I think that would be the thing I would push out is how do you be decent? How do you just make sure people are nice? Have that be a core, a core part. I like it. I think that's a, that's a solid principle for planet next one. We should do some kind of book or maybe some stone tablets once we have enough pioneers with like their principle on each one so just be nice on a big stone tablet I mean, you <laughs> no corduroy no corduroy they're like how did no corduroy go above be nice <laughs> ah you know it just be, happened <laughs> be nice brackets no corduroy yeah exactly uh, let's see the next question okay last week's pioneer was monique and she wanted to ask you if you could set up the internet anew on planet next one what would you change? So just a small question there. What would uh, you change? For some reason, this question is actually easier for me to answer than the others. Like literally the other ones, I was so confused. I was like, oh no, what would I not have? Um, with this one, I think 
I think there's an easy answer. When, when I remember when I first discovered the internet and it was this amazing experience, like this thing where I was like this, it was, it was just incredible. I can't even describe it. Like I, I, I felt that the whole world shifted and for so many of us, that's, that's how the internet has been. And, and for, for many of us today, the internet has just always been there or you're a young person and this is just how, like how your classes work, et cetera. But, you know, I live in Chicago, a big city in the U S and there's many people in, in Chicago who don't have the internet. I think the thing I would change is I would actually solve for internet access because we have all these great re resources, Wikipedia, Khan Academy, all these places to learn, but we have a huge amount of our population in the world that just doesn't have access. And so we think about the democratization that the internet has brought many things, businesses, um, education, and yet so many people are left behind. I think that I would make sure that every single person has unfettered very fast, the fastest of internets, but access that is not censored. Um, and so they can make those decisions themselves. I think that's the important thing. Thank you, perfect. Let's roll the final question. Okay, next week's star guest and next week's pioneer is the futurist Pamela Pavlishak. You have to name one question that you would like to ask Pamela. Okay, hmm. Okay, so I love domain names. And I love domain names that say something. And Pamela's domain name is awesome, Pamela.is. But I really want to know, what is Pamela? <laughs> I love it. I've seen this domain name as well, Pamela.is. We're, we're all very jealous of this domain name. It's super cool. So I cannot wait to hear what she's got to say about that, her domain name and indeed what she is. Monique, I think, yeah. thank you so much, Harper. Monique, I think we're running out of time, right? Almost, almost, almost. We have two things to go. One is, the results of the poll. Now, reminder, the question was, I am happy to share my personal data with government and big tech companies to help fight the coronavirus. So what was the answer? All of you out there, 65% said, yes, I'm happy to share the data. But 35% said, no, I'm not. I don't want to share my data. So there you go. It's not. Ah, I thought more people would say yes, to be honest. Well, I think it lines up pretty clearly with probably who will die and who will live with coronavirus. <laughs> well, whose parents will die? And whose parents oh, yeah, yeah, sadly, sadly, that's true. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, David, you have the final eyes of the show. I think we're running out of time, but we did make one big bold promise at the start of this show, and that is I'm that so scared is a better juggler than me and Monique. Harper, are you up for this? Are you up to show your juggling prowess? Oh my goodness. I mean, I'll try, but I, I just haven't done this in so long. So let me see Ooh. how we how this goes. Take it away. <laughs> Thank you so much, Harper Reed. I'll see you all next week for the show with Pamela. Thank you. See you next week. Bye. Bye. See you next week. <laughs>